You can hardly motivate people who really don't care. People who have no motivation, no compassion. Some people, you'll never change them. So you take the ones who do, and you feed that desire. And somewhere along the line, you hope that you can get somebody to wake up. Do you know there's verses in the Bible that says, wake up out of sleep. Some Christians are asleep. Some are dead in the sense that they're not doing anything for the Lord. So it's in the Bible, and it's very important. Now, take your Bible, look there in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. Do you understand that these two verses are written for a reason? They're supposed to cause you to make a decision, cause you to think. When he makes the statement, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? So then maybe you shouldn't act like you are the owner. If he makes a statement in the next verse, you're bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Why did he say that? Well, what's the point? Given us a reason why we should do the desire of God. We don't belong to us. But how many Christians know that verse is in the Bible? They can quote that verse. And in spite of what they know, violate it. As though it wasn't even written, like it's not even there. Have you ever had children that you tell them to do something and it's like talking to the wall? Never had that, huh? All your children were perfectly obedient little darlings. Now, be honest, at times they act like little brats. But you love them, you love them. You want to beat the tar out of them sometimes, but you still love them. And you wonder, when are they going to wake up and see the importance of doing right. You just sometimes, you just want the best for them in life. You want them to be able to make it in the world and stay strong. And you worry about them. You're concerned about them. That's just because you love them and you want the best for them. Is it possible for you to desire things for your children that they don't desire? You want things for them. You want them to be happy. And they do just the opposite. Have you ever loved them and they tell you, I don't love you. You don't love me. You don't care about me. You'd be surprised what kids can say, what grandkids can say, what people that you know the best can say, your own brothers and sisters. You'd be surprised all kinds of things can happen. What is that that causes that thing to change, that desire? So you're always going to be fighting and battling at yourself because there'll be days when you have this desire, I want to do so much for God. And then there'll be days when you can't figure out, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Said, you told me I had to come on Wednesday night. That's why I'm here. (laughs) But you know that I would desire you to be here because you love the Lord and you have compassion. Right? Right? Right. But in verse 20, when he says, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God. Otherwise, there's a lot of these people in Corinth that were not glorifying the Lord. So then, what must be the desire of God for His children? Is that they glorify the Lord. 
And why should I? What's the point? Because I bought and paid for you. You belong to me. I loved you. Therefore, when he says in the book of Romans in chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, men and brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice and so on. So there's a reason why. I believe God is more concerned with our desires than we know. And that we serve the Lord because we have accepted what God says, and we read the Word and we believe it. So what makes the difference between a Christian who reads the Word and another Christian who reads the Word, and one believes and one does not believe? One desires and one does not desire. Is it possible for those who have had no desire, somewhere down the road, all of a sudden they wake up and realize, I'm wasting a lot of my life, and they desire something better. Some people realize, I'm cramming for exams. I'm getting older. I'm going to have to see the Lord pretty soon. I better get things right. We got in a meeting. And to understand, all of life is preparation for a one-on-one with the Lord. You're going to, not with the Pope, you're going to be one-on-one with the Lord. You're going to be with the Lord, face-to-face with God. Now, if you know that and believe that, that should, ooh, wake you up. Realize, maybe there's some things I need to get right in my life and corrected. Look at number three. He who loses his life shall find it. Look at that verse, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew and chapter 10. There's a couple wonderful verses here, but realize that this is Jesus speaking. And so he says there in verse 38, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. In other words, you can't pay the price to follow me. Salvation is free. Some people can't pay the price to follow the Lord. Why? And there's some people who are willing to give everything they have for the cause of Christ. But you'll notice he says something very interesting about this worthy, worthy, worthy in verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It means that you can't afford it. You don't have enough faith to finish. See, in the book of Luke in chapter 14, when he's talking about discipleship, He says, because some don't count the cost. Discipleship cost. Salvation's free. But there's a price to pay when it comes to discipleship. It means you're going to have to discipline your life. Discipleship is discipline. And a lot of Christians won't discipline themselves because, well, they can't pay the price. They don't have that desire within them. And it's the desire that enables you to pay that price. And if you don't have a strong burning desire and you don't feed that desire, you're not going to be able to keep going. But he says in the last part of that verse, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. My cause is supreme love for the Lord. So there is something that God has here about loving the Lord more than mother and father brother and sister, son or daughter. Do you love your family? I love my family. 
but I'll make a great mistake thinking that I love my family more than I love God. So you've got to find out what does God want? What does He desire for me? So you have to figure that out. Look down in verse 39. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. What do you mean? What are you after? What's the point? I don't care. Whatever. But the person who has an I don't care attitude is no way that person is going to discipline their life. Only a person who has compassion, only a person who really cares can pay the price. And the price is, do you have enough faith to finish? You start, can you finish? Paul says, I not only want to run my race, I want to finish my course with joy. And the ministry that God has given to me, I want to finish it. I want to finish the race that I started running 55 years ago. And that's a long time. So, is there something in this verse that could create this desire to want what God wants versus if I go my own way and I save my life for me? What I want. But what if I'm willing to give that up for something better? Because that's all you're doing. For the Lord's will. If you'll lose your life for my sake and the gospel's, that means that Somebody's got to make a decision. Why would some make that decision and others not make it? But you see, it's always boiled down. It's an individual thing. Nobody can do this for you. You're the one that has to decide this. Look at number four. Here is a list of what God hates. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs and chapter 6. This is a list of what God hates. Okay, well, what's the point? What's the point? Well, if I want to be like God, then maybe I ought to hate what God hates. Wouldn't that be a good, um, you know, conclusion of that? God says, I hate this. I'm supposed to say, oh, I love it. Maybe he's telling me what he hates because he wants me to hate what he hates. I mean, isn't it possible? And by that, I have a desire to hate what God hates. Because if God hates it, it must be bad for me because God loves me. So if God hates that, then what God hates must be bad for me. And that means that it's going to hurt me. And God doesn't want me to be hurt because God loves me. So God doesn't want me to do those bad things because it's going to hurt me. Anytime God tells you, thou shalt not, it means that's going to hurt you. And because he loves us, he doesn't want you to do it. So he makes a statement here in verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination in him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imagination, feet that be swift in running to mischief, and a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them around thy neck. And when thou goest, it shall lead thee, and when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee, and when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. Maybe there's a good reason for us learning the Word of God. Because if you don't, and don't stay in the Word of God, you can very easily develop an I don't care attitude. You'll become slothful in your faithfulness to the Lord. You won't be faithful. You will not be dependable. You will not be strong. And you're going to develop this, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
and yet everything matters. There's a day coming when we stand before the Lord, we're going to wish we had given him more. There's a song somebody wrote about that. I wish I had given him more. Because the day will come. And all these things that God has mentioned, you're going to have to figure out, how can I do what God wants me to do? i got to desire that. And that desire comes because you know that God loves you. And God desires the best for you. And because God loves me, He desires for me to have all those treasures. And God desires for me to rule with Him. He wants me to reign with Him. God wants that for me. God has desires. So you're supposed to accept His desires, and these scriptures is to help us understand the desires of the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And those desires, I believe, comes from God. When you delight in doing what God wants you to do, there's a desire. Then God is going to give you the desires of your heart. Because God is going to give you that which you want and desire, and it's going to be more than you could have ever imagined. More than what you can be able to think about. Ask or think. In the book of Ephesians, that's a tremendous statement. All right, look there in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, and look in verse 13, where it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Well, why is he telling me this? What's the point? I mean, it's a verse. That's a good verse. Memorize the verse. I'll give him, what's the point? Because, you see, God tells us what he hates. And when the Bible says over and over again, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is learning not to mock sin, to hate evil, because God wants us to be blessed. And so he says, pride and arrogancy and the evil way, the forward mouth, do I hate. God hates those things. So God evidently wouldn't want his children to do the things that he hates. So there's things he tells us to hate. And we should hate what God hates. And we should uh, love what God loves. Now, take your Bible and look all the way over there to the book of 1 John. 1 John in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Does God tell us things also, things not to love? Just not to love it. I wonder what it might be. But what's the point? Why did He tell me these things not to love? Because if you love the wrong things, you're going to go after the wrong things. You're desiring the wrong things, and you're going to get the wrong thing for your life. And you're going to lose. You see, life is so short. Eternity is so long. And all of eternity, see, God's going to reward you for what you did in these few little years. Do you care? We're supposed to. And we're supposed to make a difference. So I can't answer why somebody maybe have an I don't care attitude. I just want to make sure that I have a I do care attitude. You can't answer for everybody. You can't make everybody else do it. But you keep talking, you keep teaching, and you keep preaching, and you keep trying to influence people to wake up out of sleep. Realize that our salvation is nearer than when we began. Christ is coming soon. Don't you care? You're going to have to answer before the Lord. Why do you think he says in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 28, My little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may what? 
we should not be ashamed before him is coming. You see, there's a desire that's there. I don't want to be ashamed. What is my desire to look in for the Lord? Because I don't want to be ashamed. You see, the Bible is full of desires all over the place telling you what God desires. Let God's desire be your desire. So, in 1 John chapter 2, look what he says in verse 15. Love not the world. Why? What's the point? Why is he telling me not to love the world? There's got to be a reason. Whatever he's saying here, it must be something that I'm not supposed to do, but why? I I always got this why question. You know, I study why. What's the point? Well, because you don't have the love of the Father. Okay, so big deal. What? What about it? There's got to be a, a meaning to all of it. There's a meaning to why God says what he does. So he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in it. And what does God want from you more than anything else? For you to love the world or for you to love him? Can you figure this out? This is a hard question. He said, now you can't love both. Verse 16 For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Evidently, whatever it is God wants us to live for, it's the things of God. Wouldn't you agree with that? God must have a great, strong desire for me to serve Him. Do you believe you can have a stronger desire to serve God than what God wants you to do? Could you love the lost man more than God loves the lost man? Where do you think you got it from? Where did you get that compassion from? You got it from the book. You read it and you fell in love with the Lord. And so therefore that compassion, God's compassion, it will... Take its toll on you. It'll it'll work on you. And you'd be surprised what the love of God can do to you. Look at the next statement in verse 17. The world passes away, and the lust thereof. This world's going to pass away, so why live for the world? The lust of the world is going to pass away, so why worry about that? But he that doeth the will of God, the will of God, this is the desire you and I are supposed to have. If we desire the will of God, then God says, I want you to hate this, and I want you to love this, and not love this, and I want you to realize that your body belongs to me. All of it boils down to is, do you want the will of God for your life? That desire It's got to be stronger than the will of man, than the desires of the flesh. And this is why this is so important. Look there now in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter and chapter 2. And look there in verse 2, all right? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. This is number 6 in your notes there. God desires that we grow, okay? Why? Well, I don't mean I want to grow. As long as I got my little pinkies inside the pearly gates, that's all I'm interested in. I've had people tell me that. As long as I'm get, hey, I'm going to heaven, and that's all I'm interested in, and now I'm going to live my own life. 
Okay. So how do I get that person who thinks that away to change his mind? Slap his jaws. No. You can't without the Word of God. This is why prayer is so important. I don't understand how prayer works, only that God says it does. I don't try to figure it out. Just, just, I don't even try to figure out electricity. I just go ahead and use it. But look what it says in verse 2. As newborn babes, what's the next word? Desire the sincere milk of the word. I've often wondered, is that desire planted in every child of God? When a mother has a little baby, is it um, something that the little baby just naturally desires to eat? Is it a natural desire? Or do you have to teach the baby, baby, you've got to have a desire. You've got to have a desire. Here, D-E-S-I-R-E. You understand that? Desire to eat because I want you to grow. And the baby says, what's desire? Is desire a natural thing? Were you, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, did God give you a natural built-in desire of all of His children to desire the sincere milk of the Word that you can grow thereby? But because you desire something that's more in the way you've feeding the flesh, and those desires are so strong that you quench those desires. But if you start feeding those little desires... Those desires can grow and become strong. Just like the desires of the flesh, if you satisfy the desires of the flesh, they can become great big monsters in your life and destroy your life. So he says, as newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, look in 2 Peter 3.18. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. And look, in the book of 2 Peter, it talks about all the suffering you've got to go through. Suffer, suffer, suffer. It's all the way through the book about suffering. And in 1 Peter, suffer, suffer, suffer. Yeah, but look what he wants in verse 18. But grow in grace. And nothing helps you to grow in grace better than suffering a little bit. You know, without suffering, without having all the answers... You'd be surprised how easy it is to get lifted up with pride that I'm above all of that. That'll never happen to me. And you'd be surprised how fast you can go down. It don't take much. But growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why is he telling me to do that? Evidently, there's something that God desires for me. Does God desire me to desire the milk of the Word? Does God desire me to grow? Does God desire me to support His work? Does God desire me to seek the lost? God tells us all these things, and He's planted His desire, revealed His desire. And that's what all put together reveals the will of God for your life is to do the desire of God. And nobody can make that happen in your life except between you and God. Somewhere along the line, God may have to discipline and correct and maybe hit some of God's children over the head with a two before. 
just to get their attention because he wants to wake you up. And then sometimes he'll take a person on home because they despise the chastening of the Lord. He says, faint not when you are rebuked of the Lord. But a lot of that is done. Look up here. Say, what's the point? Because I want to show you something. That's the point. Well, what's the point of showing me something? Because if you don't know where you're going, you ought to know. This hand represents Jesus Christ. This wall represents sin. We all have sin on us. Now, God loves us, hates our sin. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us and wants us to have eternal life, wants us to go to heaven, wants us to be with him for all eternity. But heaven is a perfect place, and we're not perfect. But God says, we and I, we can't get rid of our sin by going to church, getting baptized, paying money. The wage of sin is death, and nothing else will work. God says, your, your good works cannot save you. Can't buy your salvation. This end represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. But because he loved us, he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead and said, if we'd believe he did it for us, he'd give us as a free gift, everlasting life. And we would go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, or if you're watching by internet, why not right now in the quietness of this moment, just between you and the Lord, say, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. God already knows it. We all are sinners. We've all come short of God's perfection. But will you believe that when he died, he died for you, and will you trust him to take you to heaven when you die? God said if you'll believe it, he'll give you the free gift of everlasting life, and you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. He loves you that much. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Bless each one for being here. And Father, help us to realize that we can make a difference, that you want us to desire your will, and you've given it all the way through scriptures, over and over and over again. You tell us what you love. You tell us what you hate. You tell us what you want us to do because you desire for us to have the best to have the most that we could ever have. You want us to have the peace. You want us to have joy. You want us to have happiness. You want us to have a purpose in life. And Father, we know that we can have that only through Christ. Thank you for all you've done for us. We commit this ministry to you. It's yours. We declare, Lord, that our bodies belong to you. Our money belongs to you. And help us to love each other as we should. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.